This is a podcast about failure. With me, Lola Berry, author, nutritionist, and yoga teacher. Join me as we get to know these guests and learn about how their failures have ultimately shaped their dreams. Welcome to Fearlessly Failing with Lola Berry. Yaloha and welcome to your interview section of the pod. So Mondays are for interviews, Fridays are for diaries. This is an interview one with Sam Webb, incredible human being. And anytime that I'm missing the Australian accent, I am 100% going to listen to this episode because Sam has an awesome, awesome Aussie grounded, earthy accent. I was, I was like, oh, bit jealous of your accent, my friend. The other person that I've interviewed on here that has a wonderful Australian accent is Candace Fox, who's an Aussie author. I think that these are going to be the two apps that I listen to and I'm homesick and need to hear a bit more Australianness. So Sam Webb, Aussie actor living here in LA, land of dreams. He is also co-founder of Livin', an incredible, incredible not-for-profit organization, which is all about breaking the stigma of mental health. I'm going to put all the details in the show notes so you can learn loads about Livin'. I know as soon as I get back to Australia, I'm recording this in LA, by the way, um, I am 100% going to buy myself all the Livin' merch I can get my hands on. Sam is a legend. Yeah, so over here, chasing the American uh, actor's dream. We're in on very similar trajectories. We're both in acting school. Also, Sam's been on Survivor. Loads of fun watching and researching the YouTube vids of him being on Survivor. And he's just an all-round great human being, super, super passionate. Uh, a little trigger warning here, we do discuss suicide. He is so open, vulnerable, and honest in, I believe, every aspect of his life. And I was really touched and moved by this chat. And there are a few moments where I was getting a little bit emotional just hearing him be so, uh, he literally has no filter, so super open about really confronting things that have happened to him. I really hope you love this chat. Sam, you are a living legend, my friend. Sam Webb, welcome to the pod. Thanks, Lola. I'm looking forward to uh, having a good chat, yarn with you today. Love a yarn, my friend. Love a yarn. Yep, get comfy with your mic. You sound great. Do so I sound good? Yeah, you sound good. Well, I have. A, I want to start this with a massive compliment. You have the best Australian accent I have come across. Really? 100%. Why? What makes you think that? So it's like grounded, it's earthy, it's a low register, but it's so like iconically, I think it's a Queenslander's accent, which I love. That's my favourite Australian accent. And I'm jealous because mine. I lived in Burley for like five years and I had it. Like I fully had that accent and I'm jealous. Mine's gone. <laughs> you drove up there to get the accent, eh? Totally, <laughs> there right. <for> five years. <laughs> yeah, no, I, will, I appreciate the compliment. I sometimes think I sound like too much of a bogan. So if, if in my mind I'm trying to tone it back down Don't. a little bit, but no, I, I enjoy it. It's I get that I get that all the time. You've got the thickest accent, man. Are you kidding? Like it's hilarious. It, no, it's a, take it as a compliment. I think it's amazing. I actually did a um, 
car swap with another Aussie actor that was here a couple of weeks ago and she was like, hey, can I take you for coffee? I want to hear your accent more. And she's like, I've lost too much of my accent being here. And so I'm catching up for her with her on the weekend so she can hear my accent. I was like. Thank you. Yeah, I was like, okay, so maybe my accent isn't too bad. I think your accent's pretty pretty it's, strong. It's reasonably strong. No, I think I it's definitely, definitely not a because you've spent a lot of time, obviously, and you're from Melbourne. Is yeah. That right? yeah. Can you pick the Melbourne? No, 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 no. That's what oh. I was going to say. You don't sound like I feel like it when you go as further down south, especially like Adelaide. It's very prim and proper. Right. Like it sounds almost on the English side. Totally, you know? yeah. totally. I feel oh. like yours is very much more northern Australia. Oh, Best compliment no, seriously, ever. Seriously. My Burley days are now paying off because I really want to. I really want. I love being an Aussie in America, and I really want to talk to you about that because we're recording that in the land of dream. We're recording this in the land of dreams yeah. right now. So, first of all, you're an Aussie actor. Uh-huh. Can't wait to dive into all of that. Uh, you're also founder of Livin', which I think we're going to start there. And I, I don't want to forget about Survivor because I found so many clips of you on YouTube and oh I can't gosh. wait. It, was it really the hardest thing you ever did? It, honestly, ment- like mentally it was the toughest challenge I've ever done because like, I'd like to think I was a bit of a, uh, like a lone warrior growing up. I wasn't, most of my friends did tool like trades and handyman work where I wasn't so handy and I didn't think I was so handy. So for me going on a show like Survivor, having to fend for myself and Build and and forage and and live, literally live off the island for as long as possibly fifty five days, right. which is the game. Yeah. I I was going above and outside any comfort zone I thought I could in my whole entire life. That was the toughest challenge, along with the mental side of things. You know, sleeping and the nights were like the horrors. So there, there was a lot of parts of it that were challenging, but yeah, that was some of them the the more hard ones. Okay, we are going to start with Survivor because I'm too excited. Okay. So <laughs> I saw you do a TED talk where you were surprised, like you went in there and you were surprised that some people's like MO was to manipulate other people. Did Was that a thing? Were people like trying to mind game one another in Survivor? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I think, you know, I, I went into the game of Survivor very, very naive in a way. Oh, yeah, your package was so funny. Your package is on YouTube. Yeah. You're I, like, oh, I'm one of five kids. Yeah, or yeah. One of, is it five? Yeah, one of five. Yeah. I had no idea. And you're like, I might find romance yeah, in yeah. here. I literally was going in there just like I am right now, very open-minded. <laughs> Wherever this podcast goes, I'll answer as best as I can and I'll, I'll jump in and get involved. But the same was for the game. Like I just got on there and I remember asking one of my tribe mates and I was holding back for the first you know, a few days because I didn't want people to sort of think, you know, what, is he for real? But I had to ask someone what a hidden immunity idol was, which is pretty bad. Like that's people who are actually oh, savage Survivor right. fans must think that's an insult. And I didn't mean to be. It was just I, you know, I didn't grow up watching Survivor, but I but I yeah. knew that I wanted to learn it and I wanted to learn it fully. And by the end of the game, I, I, I you know, I, I'd like to think that I learned everything about it and I'd do it again. And it you was, got to number six, didn't you, top six? Yeah, yeah, top six and – I was so stoked to even get that far. But I think what it comes down to is definitely a social game. It yeah. really is. It's about building relationships. And, yes, in our season people probably weren't, you know, going behind people's backs as much. But It still exists. It still existed. But you watch some seasons and it's literally all about that. Yeah. And I find that hard because in my life I don't like, 
yeah, that was sort of like a conflicting with my personal values. Totally. So going against them on national TV in in a setting that's so public. Totally. Not when you're playing, it's public, but when when it's out in the open, I was like, it was really hard for me. That was tough. There's a bit that I love that you said that you're like, oh, I'm open to confrontation. If I have to come in and look after someone, I will. Yeah. <laughs> if I have to come and look after someone, I will. Yeah. So good. But I think that also um, mirrors the values that you were just talking about where like you're very comfortable with who you are as a human being and that's why I'm really excited to talk about living and also your own personal mental health journey because it sounds like you've done a lot of work on yourself Um and you have a really clear understanding of who you are, what you believe in, what you what you stand for. Can we go back to like your mid twenties now, where uh, yeah, you you didn't necessarily like. I don't feel like from what I've listened, I've fully like binge as much content I could find of you. From what I've heard, is like you. Well, one of the people that was like, I'm fine, everything looked fine on the outside, but you were actually really struggling. Is that kind of right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think my story is probably not too different to, to a lot of young men who might be listening to this podcast mm. right now who are out there. Uh, growing up, one of five, uh, second youngest, sports was something that I was I used to do most of my life. Uh, you know, tough it up, get through it, win, yeah. win, 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 win. Yeah. Come up with problem solving uh, situations all the time. You need to have a solution for something. You got to fix it, fix, 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 fix. If you can't fix it, find a solution, kind of thing. And growing up, you know, with knockabout friends who were, you know, in sports or build or whatever it was, you know, talking about mental health, mm. it just wasn't even a thing. Yeah. I didn't even know about it, you know what I mean, other than having people in my family who directly um, been affected by suicide and mental illness wasn't something that we'd spoke about outside. I'd never have a conversation with a friend mm. like in my early 20s about, you know, how's your mental illness or how's your mental health mm. going and where are you on the, you know, on the spectrum, so to speak. Um how are you feeling today? Is there something that I can really help you out with? Looking for warning signs and symptoms. None of these things was even a part of my vocabulary growing up as I don't think it was with any of my friendship group or probably a lot of people outside of my friendship group. We're similar ages too. I feel yeah. like especially that Aussie mentality mm. of like she'll be right. Yeah. So – I didn't know this because when I met you, I thought that you living in America, like this was the first time that you lived in America when you and I met a few weeks ago, but you were actually here in your 20s in Louisiana, St. Louis. Louis. St. Louis, yeah. I was in St. Louis for a year in 2012 after I finished university on the Gold Coast. I tried to pursue a a career, believe it or not, I'm so glad I didn't (laughs) in finance. Yeah. Um, But it's it's treated me very well in my personal and professional life. I've used what I studied and and it's helped me in more ways than one. Don't get me wrong. But I ended up in St. Louis, Missouri in 2012. Yeah, yeah. And literally going through the ringer, like I was diagnosed with, you know, anxiety and depression at a pretty young age. It was in 2009, 2010, mm-hmm. going into college. I probably struggled with it before that, but that was when I really got a chance to speak up and seek professional help. And that was from a number of people in my life that sort of said, you know, we need to get on top of this. Yeah. Uh, they they could identify it outside of me that it was a problem and it, and it was only going to spiral if I didn't get the help that I needed. And with some great people in my corner, um, I, I've got a great family. We're all very supportive. Uh, you know, I got, got on – like to think I got on track some somewhat and yeah. I got the help that I needed. And I ended up in America 
But yeah. that year when I was in the States trying to do finance and I was in a relationship at the time, I just, my life really started to spiral. I wasn't really happy with where I was living, my current position in my life. It was just, it wasn't, it wasn't good. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'd like to say that I learned a lot, but it was probably the hardest time in my life that year and the year preceding, like the year after, after it. it yeah. yeah. Not preceding. And, um, and that was the year of 2013. So I got home late 2012. So I could only stand around a year in the States. And then you I went had, home like the day after Christmas. Or yeah. Something, I literally you? went home yeah. the day after Christmas. And I just, it was like this instant release of pressure off my shoulders. But then when I got home, it was like that was just the tip of the iceberg. It was like my life just started spiraling. And did you, because you were on Zoloft, weren't you? Yeah, at one yeah, stage, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you got home and went off cold. Did yeah, you yeah, off? cold turkey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a very. I shouldn't have done it. Yeah, and yeah. I did. And then I was, I was self-medicating with drugs and alcohol for, wow, probably the next six to 12 months, I reckon, especially after getting back and leaving my relationship, which was a long relationship. Yeah. and. Uh, leaving what I thought that I was going to, like I spent so long at college thinking this was the dream life. Yeah. Started pursuing it. I was in this job and I was like, wow, I had offers to go work in California, to work as a portfolio advisor. Like, um, yeah. And I was like, I don't even want that. I'm going yeah. back home. I'm going to reevaluate, recalibrate and see where the world takes me. And then I started just spiraling, drinking drugs, hanging out with bad people. And just doing what you do at a young age, I guess. And I learned more then than I probably ever have learned in my life. I think as well in retrospect, looking back, your, your mid kind of 20s, I think are like when you have to, you, you're figuring yourself out. Like you're figuring out what you want to do. You're figuring out like you're starting to realise that unless you actually invest in your own mental health as well, you, you're probably going to trip at some stage. I think that all kind of happens in that 20s. I know it's different for everyone but just like from I think personal experience and like talking to mates and whatnot, that's the real finding yourself and discovering your values and figuring out who you are and what you want to do, I think. But can you talk to me about you got back to Burley and then you started hanging out with Dwayne again. You guys were like besties but like yeah. you're one of, the, one of those friends where like if you don't see each other it's okay and then it's just back to being amazing. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah. So get, get, getting back to, to Australia, Burley Heads. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, we, we grew up playing sport together. Yeah. Uh, he was on the opposing t- side most of the time uh, <laughs> and they generally get a lot of wins. But we were very competitive growing up and wouldn't hang out with each other all the time. But when we did, it was like nothing changed. Yeah. We, were, we, were, we were, yeah, we, we were kind of similar in a lot of ways. You know, loved having a good time, loved making trouble. Having, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> just young guys having fun. Larrikins. Larrikins, absolute larrikins for the, for, <laughs> for, the, for, the, for the right way to say it. But, um and it was 2013, so I started and then I basically got into a new work, which is working for Osteria. Oh, great. Yeah, I feel yeah. like that's more up your alley. Yeah, definitely. And I was yeah. like, I really like this. And and it was in sales, but I've done sales before. And I was like, great. And I was around creative people, writers, at the ad department, on air, and I was really enjoying it. But in my area, I was really good at what I did, but I didn't really enjoy it. Yeah. And I was just coming to work, hit my budgets, yeah. Made commissions, was making pretty good money, but I used to rock up to work every Monday morning, literally hung over. Yeah. And I was having three day weekends every weekend. And um <laughs> and literally, uh this was this was a year that I like to say it was my turning point. It was a time of hitting rock bottom, 
but also knowing that I had two choices to make. Yeah. And I'll take you back a little bit before Dwayne's part, like mm-hmm. the story about Dwayne and everything else and why living started. But yeah, just, you know, when you're on that Ferris wheel or that hamster and you're just doing the same stuff mm-hmm. over and over again. Drinking, working, drinking, working, drinking, working. Nothing was changing. I wasn't having any better relationships in my life. I wasn't becoming a better Sam. Mm. I was just coasting. And and if anything, I wasn't coasting. I was actually declining even further than what I was when I was in America. Anyway, I, Dwayne and I reconnected and we hung out and blah, 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 blah. Uh, It was around September. Of 2013, Dwayne and I um, went to hang out. I'm going to dive straight into this story right now. But um, after a number of weekends hanging out and whatnot, it came to the weekend of September 14, 15. Oh, it's my birthday. Is it? 14. Okay, okay. okay. Well, I'll never forget that weekend because on the 15th of of September, Floyd Mayweather was fighting Canelo Alvarez. And Dwayne and I were planning to watch that because he's an avid boxer. Yeah, he wasn't re- that part of his career? Yeah, or yes, he was. Yeah. He was like a amateur pro- and then a professional, so to speak. And he was amazing. He's really good at it. Mm. Had a couple of uh, operations on his elbow and had a couple of issues with with that side of things. But overall, very talented. Yeah. Very talented, actually, at everything he did sport wise. And uh, we'd plan to to sit at the Shark Bar at Miami yeah, yeah. and to watch. That's just where most people would go and watch fights, yeah. like live fights. Yeah. And we'd we were going to sit there, have drinks, and Dwayne and always. I used to always say, we're going to the top, man. We're going to the top. It was this figure of speech that we'd say that no matter what happened in life, no matter how good or bad things got, we're going to the top. Yeah. And in, in my mind, the top is like we're going to be elite. Yeah. Like we're going to achieve every goal that we've ever set out to achieve. We're going to be with the most amazing people in our life. We're going to have great friendships. Life is just going to be unbelievable. And we always used to say, we're going to the top, man, we're going to the top, even when we were down by Nobby's Ark and that on a Sunday, you know. It was like, where are you going, Lally? We're going to the fucking top. Yeah. And that was just how it was. And yeah. anyway, the weekend of September, your birthday, 14th yeah. and 15th, um, Dwayne had set up a double date yeah. with his girl, like his long-term girlfriend, almost fiancé, and her best friend. And he's like, we're going to go for a dinner in in Nobby's Beach Mm -hmm. and we're going to have a good time, just the four of us and blah, 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 blah. I'd been drinking during the day uh, just with some friends Mm. again at the Shark Bar watching football. (laughs) And then um, Dwayne was doing the same thing too and he's like, Webb, don't worry, let's scrap the plans for the the double date. I've got a better plan. I'm getting the girls to pick you up because his girlfriend lived just near the Shark Bar and they're (laughs) going to pick you up and you're going to come to my place. And we're going to have a little barbecue and a get together with a bunch of people. And on the way through, make sure you pick me up some, some beers. Anyway, we did all that. I got picked up by the girls. We headed straight to Dwayne's house and Dwayne being Dwayne, life of the party, very charismatic, fun. Like he's a type of guy that you'll always have a good time with. You know, you know, those people, very energetic. Um, and rock solid. Wouldn't, wouldn't generally open up about anything. Mm-hmm. And um, he would hide his he'd hide his vulnerabilities at all costs. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dwayne invited us in. Let's go. Let's go to the fucking top. Let's go do this. Yeah. Um, had, had an amazing time. Football was on. Drinks were going around. You know what a house party might be like. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, we're having a great time. Yeah. And then I remember uh, it would have been around 10, 30, 11 o'clock that night. Dwayne said, 
Webb, Webb, come, come with me. Let's have a chat. And we had a chat in his room. I remember him shutting the door. We were in a deep and meaningful. And de- definitely, I'm, I'm not going to lie, like we, we were intoxicated and everything else um, to a certain degree. But I was de- very aware of what was happening. Mm. And uh, Dwayne basically opened up to me that night. And, and I'm going to freeze right there because at this very moment in my life, in my year, in that particular time, I wasn't in the best frame of mind either. I was literally just holding it together, yeah. trying to survive, trying to breathe, head above water, so to speak. Dwayne called me into his room that night, Web, Web, come, let's have a chat. And we, we, we ended up speaking. Now, this is very different than what I've experienced before because I've never had a one-on-one conversation in this capacity with someone like Dwayne. Life of the party, mm. very charismatic, wouldn't share any struggles that he has generally with anyone. And I have never really had those conversations with any dude in my life, mm. let alone Dwayne. Anyway, Dwayne's like, Webb, I've, I just want to let you know. Like, It was like a kind of a depressing conversation in a way because he opened up to me and said, you know what, Webb, I've tried to take my life mm. twice before, mm. not once but twice. I'm like, I was so caught off guard I didn't even see this coming. I like I had no idea. Like I didn't know that he'd try to do this. No one – I've never heard of this. I knew Dwayne had suffered – with mental health challenges, anxiety, depression, bipolar, but I wasn't really educated on on how severe that was for him and how much that played a part in his life and his and his the end of his life, I guess. But and it wasn't until after the fact. But in that moment, I thought I listened as best as I could. And and I, I you know, we were chatting about it. He's like, Don't worry, Webb, I just want to let you know that I've I've definitely tried it. And I definitely won't be trying it ever again. And we were talking about a friend that we'd both lost, Mm -hmm. a friend's brother, and it was literally only about a year earlier, a year and a little bit earlier. Mm. And he's like, it was so sad. It affected so many people's lives and it changed people's lives. And he's like, yeah, I could never do it to my family. And he was so – Dwayne was so close with his family, you know what I mean? Like there was nothing – from the outside looking in, you look at Dwayne's life and you'd think it was just really good. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, and and you know, very talented. He, he was a homeowner, family only one sister, mum and dad. Everyone to get like they're all together. There's no family separations or anything mm-hmm. like that. Great extended families. Literally got family everywhere. And and we're talking, and I'm like, man, you know that no matter how hard or how bad you might feel, please know that you've got a lot of support and friends out there that would that would run to your support if you needed them. The same way that you would have done this for Blake, who died a year earlier. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? He goes, "Yeah, I know. I would have just been there for Blake. Like so many people would have rocked up. His funeral was huge. I don't know what what he was thinking. Why did he do this?" And Dwayne's like, "Yeah, I know, man. But I, I just wanted to let you know that I've, I'm one of those guys that actually has the balls to do it." He actually said that. He goes, "I've actually got the balls to do it." I remember that because that was really weird. I would never have said that, even if I knew that I could do it. He goes, but there are a lot of people out there, Webb, that say they would do it, but they would never do it. They're all talk. He goes, but I'm one of those ones. But I just want to let you know that I'm not. I would never do it to my family and all that. This is all great. And Dwayne being great and, sorry, Dwayne being Dwayne looked at me and reassured me life was good. Future looked promising. He had all these things set up. Business was going well. Um, relationships seemed like it was going well. Um, and... And I remember trying to share with Dwayne about how I was fit, like how I felt too, like trying to uh, 
basically get on his level. And I yeah. talk about this in my TED talk around about trying to be the safest person possible so that people can open up as well mm. and trust you. And I explain to Dwayne about my struggles and my family history with mental illness and my own challenges. And him and I were very he, – he was – for his bipolar disorder, he was actually medicating on lithicarb. Yeah. Which effect, can affect your weight. Yes. And it can make you put on weight or change weight or whatever. And I remember him saying I didn't, he didn't like it. He was taking it but he didn't like it because it changed his weight and it affected mm. him with his training and all that sort of stuff. And I remember going, mate, I was on the same stuff mm. um, when I was taking it for a certain certain period of time and I got off it. And we were laughing and having back and forth chatter mm. and banner about it. And we're still having banner at this time too. Even during this really serious mm. conversation, there was still a lot of like, oh, we'll be right, it's all going to be good, you know, who cares, like sort of thing. And then I remember going, man, everything's going to be great. Everyone's here for you if you ever need anything and I'll make sure I'm there for you if you're ever struggling again. And I remember him going to me, don't worry, Webb, I'm fine. And that was, the, that was the conversation which ended in that room and we'd left. And I remember sitting at the front door of the party that night. I'm just trying to be specific here. So. Mm, no, it's great. And, um, and I was with Emily at the time, his girlfriend's best friend, just hanging out, having drinks, talking at the front door and I remember a little bit of a commotion went down at the party and I was like, what happened, what happened? And Dwayne's girlfriend at the time was like, Dwayne's left the party, he's taken off at the back door, he said he's going to go kill himself and I think he really means it this time. Like he, 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 he just took off and he, he ran off and da-da-da-da-da and I literally jumped off out of my seat, literally jumped out of my seat based on the conversation we'd only had 25 minutes earlier. And I ran around the house, couldn't find him. And I was like, what is going on here? Man, messaging him, trying to call him, please answer, please do not do anything stupid. I remember the text message I sent to him that night straight away going, please don't do anything we'd spoken about tonight, brother. I'm here for you no matter what. That was the exact text message I sent to him. I'll never forget it. No response, no answer. I jumped in the car that night, I probably shouldn't have, and I drove halfway around the Gold Coast looking for him yeah. with, with the two girls yeah. in, in their car that I got picked up in that night, a little black beetle thing. Um, shouldn't have been driving, but I did. And I remember the first place I went to to look for Dwayne going, I think he, he might just be down here by the water looking out and um, just taking some air. And, yeah, yeah, whatever he's doing. I don't think he's doing. he's going to do anything stupid just because we're talking about this. And yeah. He reassured me and I was convinced, you know, he sold me, he sold me hard just to, and he said everything that I need to hear. And I, no answer, no response. Uh, the girls are calling him, no response, nothing. Like, That's really weird. And then I went to the, that bridge and I couldn't see him. I remember doing a U-turn under the bridge and I was looking around. This is a Talabudra. Yeah. Palm Beach Talabudra Drive. And I remember looking around, couldn't see him. Look left, right, couldn't see him. I went, all right. So I drove off out there and I drove to a different place. And then no word of him. It was about 2, 3 o'clock in the morning or maybe even 2 around that time. And I remember his mum going, she couldn't get hold of him. And I spoke to her on the phone at the front of the party. And Kim, she she couldn't even, she's like, I just, he's not answering my calls or messages or anything. It was really weird. It was really strange. And then I, I couldn't sleep that night. I remember laying upright like this, just looking and thinking, trying to stay positive, everything's going to be okay. And the next day we're, we're meant to be going to watch the fight and um, I remember seeing his face pop up on Facebook, missing. People are like, has anyone found him? No one's found him. And this was like nonstop calling, where are you, bro? Like no, like no one could get a hold of him. And 
unbeknown at the time, I couldn't. I didn't, obviously didn't go to the shark by that day. I sat with a whole bunch of friends, uh, my brother and and whatnot, and people that were Dwayne's friends, and no word from anyone. And it was about five o'clock that day in the afternoon. I'd been home and I was home by myself and eating pizza. And I was just, it just, there was something eerie about the day. It just didn't feel right. It just didn't seem right. And although I tried to keep positive and I tried to think all the right things and play back situations in my head, did I say the right stuff? Did I do anything wrong? I hope he listened to that part. Was his phone in his hand when I texted him? Maybe it's gone flat. Like all these different situations running through my mind and, I remember getting a phone call at five o'clock saying that Dwayne had been found dead. And that was the phone call I'll never forget. That was the worst phone call I've ever received in my whole entire life because I felt responsible for it. I was with Dwayne. He shouldn't have done this. Like I was there in his kit, like he was in my care. He opened up to me and he hasn't done that to anybody. And I'm like, I'm partly responsible for this. I should be, this shouldn't have happened. This should not have happened and I couldn't believe it to a point where I just lost my mind and got in the car and I still didn't believe it. I was in, must have been shock or whatever and I drove up to the hospital at Southport Hospital and, and I was accompanied with his whole family and close friends and I had to see Dwayne mm-hmm. to actually look at him to know that this was real and it wasn't just something that someone had just rang me and told me. And I remember them taking back the curtain in the viewing room that night and seeing my friend's dead body there is the first dead body I've ever seen in my whole entire life and I'll never forget it. He was in the same clothes. He was in the same outfit that he wore that night at the party. He just looked a little bit more at peace probably and just laying. And I was just like, this is fucked. How is this even real? This I was just with him a few hours ago. You know what I mean? Like this guy's young. He has his whole life ahead of him. And in looking over to my right, I see his family. They'll never be the same again. Yeah, it's one thing affecting people like myself and Casey and whoever else, friends, but it's family, it's different. These people will never be the same again ever. Their whole life's changed. And everything from there is just, just had spiraled for a little bit for a lot of us. And then, yeah, we did our best to try and try and stick together to try and make a difference. And that's really where living started after that. After so that. when he said he was really young, was he the same age as you? Yeah. So yeah. 2003, how old would have he been? 24, 25. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, wow. very young and, you know, we're coming up to Livin's eight-year anniversary yeah. on, the, on the 15th of September. Yeah, I was about to say next week. Yeah, yeah. So um, next Wednesday, I th- yes. something like that because yep. your birthday must be Tuesday. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's just it wasn't the, it wasn't the ending I was expecting. And for anybody, and I just, and then obviously after it all happened, we learn a lot about, and I'm still learning more about Dwayne today, things that I never knew. Like I wasn't, I was close to Dwayne, but I wasn't, it was a different kind of close. We probably spent more time being larrikins and playing sport and just just having fun together than we really did having serious conversations. Also, you would have learned. You would have that would have triggered you to learn a lot about bipolar, though. Yeah. Like as a my skill set as a nutritionist, but I love mental health and I love the brain and brain chemistry and human behaviour. It's a real passion of mine. And bipolar is a very specific set of circumstances that that human is going through with highs mm. and lows. Yeah. But you mentioned Talabudra 
Bridge or Creek. Is it, you went there to have a look? Is that where? Is that why you mentioned it? Is that where it happened? Yeah, that's so they found they found Dwayne there. That's where he was found, and apparently, because where he was, yeah, I don't know. This is just after the fact, but he'd parked his car around the corner that I didn't quite see, and yeah, he was still alive at that stage. But I oh. didn't turn the corner and see his car, oh. so. Uh, that's that's these are things that kind of play on my mind all the time, but you can only do what you can do, I guess. And it just happened that way. And yeah, it was like he was up around the corner, and the camera had him going in towards the bushes, and a walker found him the next day. And yeah, that person who found him will never be the same. You know, they say suicide affects at least 135 people, or up to 135 people. I think the numbers far outweighs that. You can't put a number on someone's life, and definitely. Yeah, Dwayne's passing was was really the turning point in my life and I, I look at Dwayne's story in what I've learnt from it and up until that point in my life going, I kind of have Dwayne to thank me for being on the road that I'm on because oh. I don't know that I'd be in this situation or even here today if it wasn't for Dwayne because I don't know where I was going. I was... I was going a very dark, dark place and I, I'd be lying if I said I don't have dark thoughts, not dark thoughts, but I'd be lying if I said I didn't have bad thoughts or struggles at some times in my life. Mm. Still today I do, that's just me and that's good because I can manage it and I can deal with it and I can talk about it. But Dwayne's passing and that whole event and living starting was really the turning point in my life that that totally. that I could, yeah, give or take, whatever it, whatever it is. I mean I know that living has all come from this experience but thank you for sharing that so specifically I hope like ah oh, yeah, I was, I was like oh my going to cry right now like it was real it's it's so confronting even to hear it so for you to share it so clearly like that and it must still be super visceral for you oh yeah of course it will be probably forever definitely it's a part of your heart yeah yeah you know not to yeah. get too hippie on no, you but no, it's no, like it's- um, I've heard you talk, and I and I, uh, I've heard you talk about having suicide ideologies. I hope I'm saying that yeah, term yeah, correctly. Yeah, correctly. And I'm pretty sure you you said that that's something that you've definitely experienced in the past yeah. as well. And I think because you know the stats so well, yeah, yeah. that's something that's really quite common for humans to yeah, experience yeah. the yeah. like just exploring the idea of it. Uh-huh. Is that true? Like, is that true? Is that something that a lot of humans experience? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They say, you know, and and not to quote the exact science and research here because I'm a bit of a stickler when it comes to facts and research. I don't want to just say it for the sake of saying it. I want to make sure I'm right. But the they say a lot of people have thoughts of suicide doesn't mean they're struggling with suicide or they're gonna suicide. If that makes sense, a lot of normal. When I say normal. I mean, just normal people who don't struggle with mental illness or mental health challenges. It just might be a thought. It's not that they'd act on the thought, though. It's just thoughts. But they're able just to just pass on and go to the next thing yeah. and just forget about it like it really didn't even happen. And it's when I say normal, I don't think normal is the right word to say. The average but human yeah, being going through life. Yeah, well, some, some people do. Yeah. I mean, not to get too morbid on you, but like. Death is something we're all going to experience. Exactly. So I think like, and I think in your 30s you come to, and you for you probably a lot earlier because of the experience you've been through, but you come, like you mentioned that you saw a de- you yeah. saw someone that you loved yeah, yeah. dead and for people usually our age, like I've seen my grandparent like yeah, that yeah. and that feels like 
sure, it's confronting and it's sad and it's grieving, but also feels like part of the human experience. Mm. And so I think there is a stage in your life, I would argue for me it's been my 30s, but I think for you it would have been your 20s, where you have to realise we're going to die. And so that's where I think that like that concept of having suicidal ideologies is like, well, we have to face death mentally at some stage if we want to be really clear. Like I think this whole experience is totally fucked up and as confronting as it would have been for you. It also would have like there are so many positives to your relationship with Dwayne, like going to the top, like giving Mm. it your all, being clear on who you are as a human. And like I imagine that would have given you even more resolve once, of course, you have it sounds like you went through all like healing and mental yeah, health support yeah, yeah. to come out the other side Absolutely. of that. Absolutely, yeah, definitely. But my first experience meeting you, I was like, oh, this guy's going to succeed no matter what. That was the first feeling I got when we grabbed a coffee a few weeks ago. And I think like maybe your resolve has come from losing something that you love so dearly and having to sit and understand yourself at such a young age because yeah. did you get um, – mental health support after? Yeah, I I wouldn't have been straight away after Dwayne's passing. I think I probably self-medicated for a little while and tried to keep busy to to stay on top of my thoughts. I didn't want to really talk and feel about them or feel them. I just kept busy to try and drown them out. Um, But I eventually did, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of the things I've had to explore over the years has been very beneficial to my my personal growth, you know. And I've been able to learn more about who I am, what ticks me, what what drives me, what doesn't drive me, what what I'm interested in. And I'm on this path for a reason, you know. And Dwayne's death was horrific. And the thing is and why we started living, right, is when Dwayne was having a wake – we got shirts made up with his face on it and we sold them at the wake and literally had 100 plus people there. Everyone bought one. We gave the money to his mum and dad. They gave back to us saying just do something good with the money uh. and that's where living started. Dwayne used to always say, we're living, man, we're living. Uh. And then him and I had this little thing, we're going to the top and that's where the yeah. arrow came in and we're like, well, let's just make this a thing. And it was yeah. just a passion project. We just want to sell shirts to raise awareness for suicide. Uh you know, yeah. suicide prevention and yeah. mental health awareness. And one thing led to the next, the next thing led to the next. And then we had support coming in from everywhere. We pitched it to a legal firm. We went pro bono, got it to a charity. And then it sort of just took off and it was more formal. And after two years working multiple jobs, I was able to step away. I was the first to step away from my current, my job at the time yeah. to be employed by living full time. And then Casey followed suit after he stepped out of his building over to living. And then it was him and I for a while. And then we started growing the team and the, the stories, it was born out of Dwayne's passing and his, his situation and what that event was and what it meant to, to everybody, but also what living means to other people who might be struggling now. Yeah. Because I know Dwayne being Dwayne, this is about other people. This would be about other people. Yeah. And there are a lot of people very similar to Dwayne who have taken their life or who are thinking about taking their life that this is dedicated to. And that's yeah. what we need to do to make a difference. And so I'll put all the in the show notes like no worries. it's living.org yep. and um, you're all about educating people and helping people. I know there's resources as well. Yep. Um, can I ask, and this is going to sound like a celeb question but how did you get it on Chris Hemsworth because that that's how that's when I learn about living I okay. saw the photos of Thor on yeah, set yeah, yeah. wearing I think he was in a hood yeah he was, he was in, in a hoodie, hoodie. yeah 
How did that happen? So a friend of ours who yeah. was really good friends with Dwayne, yeah. Charlie, he weighs, he's a um, dolly grip, first dolly grip on, on feature films, working yeah. at Movie World. He's like, mate, I'm on the Thor film. I reckon we could try and get uh, the Hemsworth, Hemsworth in, in living gear because I wear it to work and he asked me what it was about. So can you get us some gear and send it to him and we'll give it to him. And he did. And then he just wore it on set one day in, in Brisbane and it got all this publicity because people thought it was like Kanye West's hoodie and then it was who <laughs> really? was it, where was was living mean, like what is it he's wearing. And then oh. it got heaps of publicity and and we met uh, Chris on set of Thor. Casey and I went and met him to thank him, thanks for his support and um, he's he's very much involved. His family is very much involved in another organisation, um, which is great. Um, but we were just very grateful for his support of wearing yeah, it. Yeah. You know, he's, he's not an ambassador. I'd like to get him on board as an ambassador one day or, yeah. you know, or an advocate and help support their charities that they support. But you never know. But we were just grateful for, yeah. for him getting behind it and help spread the message. So, well, I mean, it worked, yeah, right? Yeah, it worked. It definitely worked. Um, one more thing before we – I really – I've got a few other like – but really fun things fun, I want to talk fun to you facts. about. <laughs> but before that, I've seen you talk about toxic masculinity. Sorry, I know it's so hot in here. No, it's We've all right. got no it's AC. Right. No, it's good. Um, it's a sauna. <laughs> it's total Bikram podcast. I'm going to leave here ripped. Um, <laughs> so I've seen you talk about toxic masculinity uh-huh. and I think it's that I'm fine mentality and like, well, especially in a strut, like I'm an Aussie guy, yeah. like I'm super masculine, I'm the provider, I cannot be perceived as weak and your podcast is called Ain't Weak to Speak. Yeah. So I guess can you share a little bit about um, – because I love the way you spoke about toxic masculinity. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. I, my, my big belief around toxic masculinity is it's an outdated model that people still for some reason live by. This traditional outdated model of masculinity is costing people their lives, especially young men. And I, I want people to challenge that and try and bring in something fresh and new because this is a new generation, new people understanding things differently. Uh, we're hooked up differently these days than what we were 30 years ago. You know what I mean? We've got more information. We've got more things going on. So let's change the way we think about conversations. And I feel like I'm a big believer that these conversations need to start from yourself, from within. And in order to do that, I think it's important to be vulnerable within yourself to a certain point because people are probably listening or probably thinking, well, it is weak to speak or you say it ain't weak to speak, but how do I do that? I think it's important to have these hard, vulnerable conversations and be honest with yourself first mm. and then create that safe space so that other people can be safe and open with you on a deeper level about how they're actually feeling because you, you, off, you might often hear, well, why don't you just tell someone how you feel? Why can't you just talk to someone? Unfortunately, people can't just talk to people. Okay, You have to feel like you're getting – you have to feel like these people understand you to some level they get you, they trust you. So what I challenge people to do, and this is part of this new model of masculinity, is mm. becoming the safest person possible mm. so that people around you, a guy, a friend that you'd be at a pub with, a knockabout bloke that would normally say harden up, he knows that you're safe, you've been vulnerable, you talk about your challenges, whether it's perceived strong or whatever else, doesn't really matter. At least that person now knows that this alpha male of the group or whoever he was is now sharing about his experiences mm-hmm. and talking about it in an open forum. It's like he's became a leader in that field now of the new model of masculinity and it gives the chances to these other people who are sitting within the group or 
somewhere in the group that might be sitting there holding their emotions, hiding it because they're worried about what one of the boys might think about it. Totally. Be safe. I challenge you to be safe because you'll get the help that you need if you're struggling, but you're also going to, I'm looking for the right word here, but you're, you're really going to. You're creating a safe you're, space. You are going to create that others. safe area for someone else to come to you. Yeah. And have those conversations with you that they might not have had with anyone else. I love hearing you say this because as I'm sitting opposite you talking to you, like you've got the whole alpha male shtick physically, your voice is low, a lower register and it's like you are like a Thor, like you are yeah. a bit of a superhero archetype character and so to hear you talk so openly and like pro-vulnerability is so ba- like testament to you and your podcast and everything that you're doing with Livin' because I think it's so great that you're spreading a message about vulnerability on a personal level but also just like I think people seeing someone like you be super open and vulnerable is so powerful. Yeah, well, the, no one's bulletproof out there. Yeah. So stop stop trying to be fake and hold the shit behind because it's only going to cost you in your own life. Like you're not going to advance if you're just going to keep putting facades on or pretending everything is going to be all right because deep down – the truth always comes out one way or another, whether it's abuse, whether it's abusing drugs or alcohol or whether it's anger, whatever it is, just just start having those truthful conversations. And if you can't have them with someone in your life, you don't have anyone that you trust, have them with yourself. It's about starting yeah. to be in acceptance and, and understanding that this is a journey and that no one's life is perfect. I don't care who's listening to this podcast. I'm very I'm honest. I'm open. I'll, I'll tell it how it is and I'll be challenged. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But no one's life is perfect. Mm. I've never met someone that said my life is perfect and it's pain-free and it's issue-free. Just because they've got money or they're successful, their life is littered with problems. And people need to understand this and not get the – fake ideologies or ideas that looking at social media and and websites and podcasts that people's lives are always good because they're not. No one's life is. We need to start bringing people back to reality because that's what life is all about. If your heart hasn't been broken, you haven't lived. It's a human experience. You're meant to feel pain and it makes like the good times. You're like, whoa, I've come out of that darkness and now I'm having this really positive experience. Like it's yin and yang. One doesn't exist without the other, I don't think. Can we talk about acting? We can. I'd love to. Oh, that's what we nerded out about. I could talk about this for an hour if you want. So let's go. (laughs) So, okay. You're an Aussie actor. You... I had a lot of fun watching your se- all your neighbours scenes are on, or a lot of them are on YouTube. Okay. So your name was cringeworthy. No, <laughs> no, you got Manix to play Foster. Big, yeah, Manix Foster. You were kind of a bit of a baddie. Yeah, can I but say? I think you had a good heart. Yeah, okay. You came from a good place. But it was was his history like drugs? Or yeah, something? yeah, he was in the drug yeah. narcotics trafficking. <laughs> You know, just the the sling and dope here and there. <laughs> right. In Australia and like most of our listeners are Australian, okay. um, obviously like Neighbours and Home and Away are like the two pinnacles of the soapies in Australia yep. to get on. Like Neighbours is where Margot Robbie came from, Home and Away is where Chris Hemsworth come, has come from. So you like you've hit the holy grail of Aussie TV and soaps. Um, I know that was I think your second time auditioning for Neighbours when you got yeah, the role. Yeah, yeah. How like how did it feel when you got on? How long like how did, how long did you have to learn your lines? How did it feel on set? Did you get any prep time with the other actors, or was it like learn the lines, be on set? Yeah, so uh, 
great questions. And I think for anyone listening that's aspiring to be an actor and all that sort of stuff, keep going. It's, it's hard. I'm very grateful to even have those opportunities to get there and I, I'll cherish them forever. I'll never forget where I started, you know, as a young guy struggling. I'll never forget that. But with, with, with film and TV, especially Neighbours, right, when I got cast and I knew I booked the job, I was like, this is amazing. It was like awesome. Okay, but now the work starts. It's like, all right, you've booked it. That is huge. You're going to be on Neighbours, you know what I mean? But now the actual work starts, which for me, a big challenge in my craft was always trying to memorise lines. So for me, I, I like to be a bit more pre- – I like to be prepared as Same. best as I can for certain things. And for acting, I want to be prepared as best as I can. But one thing I was grappling with is you can't – you don't always – you can't have the outcomes to everything in life. You can try your best to be prepared, but you you got to get thrown curveballs and it could be something completely different. I just wanted to learn my lines, get them down fully, understanding exactly what I was trying to get across, what message I was trying to convey, making sure I turned up on set on time and I was very professional and I was very easy to work with. That were the things I wanted to stick by, being the first person on set. I didn't want to come across like I'm an intruder, I'm a loud mouth, who does this guy think he is? I was just Sam Webb, I'm coming in, I'm serious, I want to work the best I can, I want to get good feedback and I also want to learn from other actors on set. And I, I want to respect the show I was on. It's been around for a lot of years. So I wanted mm-hmm. to respect that as best as I could. So that's basically what I did. I didn't, it wasn't so much, no, prep time was all my own time at home or before I mm-hmm. got to set. As soon as you get to set, you're checking in, you're sitting in the green room, you're meeting the actors, you get called, you go to make up, you get the make up, you sit in the green room, then you get called to your set. And then basically when you're in a set, you'll do a little bit of blocking. Yeah. Um, some of the directors I worked with, it was like you, you do the blocking, you chat about the scene, do a couple of line runs, just holding your, holding your sides and that's great. And then it's just like action. On, yeah. Yeah, and, they, and because it's Neighbours and Home and Away, well, these Quick shows are very, they're very fast. So yeah. you, sometimes there was a director I worked with, Kate Kendall, she's awesome because uh, she's an actor's director. She worked as an yeah. actor on the show and now she's a director. Uh, we got the chance to talk about more about intentions and objectives yeah. and try and play up a bit in the scene go against what it's – look at more of the subtext. That's yeah. where I learnt most. But some of the other directors, you're moving so quick. You're just doing it and you, and you go, fuck, that was so bad. I want to do it again. But they just don't do it again. It's just the way it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I'm a student of life and I was, I'm learning every day. How long uh, would it be? So when you get sent your script, how long have you got to be off book, like to learn your lines? Um, so I'd get my script probably the week before. Okay. Yeah. So doable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very doable. Yeah. And then you, you you see how many scenes are in and then I just prioritise what scenes I'm in first um, on the block where I'm showing up what scenes because, it, as you know, uh, acting isn't always in chronological no. order. So it's not like you shoot the first scene first and it goes through the script like that. Like so I was shooting the the climax scenes first <laughs> and then going back to the start and I was yeah. like, oh, okay, this is, this is great because I'm learning. I didn't realise this. You're not really taught that in acting school. Yeah. So being on set has definitely been super helpful. Totally. And, and being on a show like that is very – I'm very grateful, but, again, I've got so much to learn and that's why I'm back at acting classes here in LA with you. Yes. It's so, I love – like I love nerding out about acting stuff with you. So I know you've got a history of – you've been in theatre as well yeah. back home. But what's the – like what's the oh, what would be the ultimate dream gig for you? You're in LA. You're in the land of dreams. Yeah, yeah. So I'm – I think the biggest challenge was getting here, setting up shop. Yeah. So I feel like I've, I've finally managed to do totally. that. I so feel I, you. <laughs> it's still a lot of, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's hard. Yeah. It's a lot of hard work to go. But I think just getting here 
for us in Australia or if it's the UK, it, there's a lot of barriers for entry, right? Yeah. Um, my ultimate goal would be, you know, in films obviously, but I also want to be a filmmaker at some point in my life. Yeah. Um, I think that's just the creativity, but definitely now I'd, I'd love to, to be in films. Yeah. That would be like a – I just love exploring different people yeah. Not being so hung up about me and in my body. I want to experience empathy and understand what other people may feel and use my thoughts of how to transform that into their life because I think that's what acting is really all about. It's acting truthful in imaginary circumstances. So for me, I just want to be truthful but also explore what it could be like to be a murderer or yeah. explore what it could be like to be a, a felon of some kind or to whatever it is, you know, totally. a business – what. I just, I just love the idea of creating. Yeah, films would be the pinnacle for me. But again, I'm happy to, to just act. I could just act in acting classes for the rest of my life. I'm happy. I don't have to be making millions of dollars to do it because I actually genuinely love doing it. Mm. It's very therapeutic for me. Yeah, and it and it gives me a sense of peace that I don't often get in many other areas of my life. And that's what I love. I also feel like acting and acting training is a study of human behaviour and, and that's where that like where you get to try on all these different personality types that might not be normally within you but one thing I've learned at acting school is I know that I'm drawn to other characters over like if I get a really like um, – uh, like a really sad or really heavy scene, I'm like, oh, here we go. This is a real challenge. But if I get a fiery scene yeah, or a funny that. scene or comedy, I'm like, oh, my goodness. I can't, like it fully, we were talking about before, it carbonates me. Yeah, yeah. But the really like heavy and depressing and like my teacher will always be like, you're too, fi- you're too fiery. Like you're bringing too much of Lola to this character. So like it, it's great to be challenged but I think it's also really cool to learn what your best skill sets are, yeah, like what sure. you suit. Like I could totally see you in a Marvel movie. Okay, that's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, I have to ask this. I know you've been asked it before and I know we've got some similarities in this um, like question. Uh, favourite movie? I've got so many favourite <laughs> movies but my favourite movie. I think it might be the same as mine. I don't really? know what you're going to say. I've, I've got three rippers. Yeah. So Blood Diamond, that's mine. Dark Knight, yep. and Point Break, yep. the original, OG, yeah. the OG yeah. one. Have you seen the second remake? No, I didn't even bother. It's it's worth seeing it if you're into extreme sports. Yeah, no, I just want to stay with my my Patrick Swayze, yes, yeah, and Keanu Reeves. So, yeah. but there there and there's so many great films out there. I've been watching a lot of black and white films lately. I've yeah. been watching a lot of. Uh, Stanley Kubrick and, yeah, and yeah, Mar- yeah. Marlon Brando films and, and James Dean and whatever Classic. else. And I just love that because it, it's very nostalgic. Yeah. And it takes you back in a time when I didn't even exist. But yeah. it's really cool. Uh, filmmaking is great. And I'm becoming more and more obsessed with not just acting but the actual art of filmmaking in itself. Totally. But what yeah. about Fave Actor? I feel like I know what Favourite Actor, um, I've got a few. I'd probably say yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio is probably my favourite actor. Blood Diamond. Yeah, yeah, South probably. African yeah, accent. Heath Ledger yeah. was great. I liked his um, the way he could just be someone that he wasn't, but he'd always leave parts of himself in each of those characters, which I think we all do. But um, he's just he's Heath. unreal. Hands down. Um, Heath Ledger. I should. I've actually Leonardo got a Heath DiCaprio. Ledger T-shirt. I should want it today. Yeah, I'm a yeah, I'm gonna fan. steal it off you. I'm a um, huge fan. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of great actors out there, you know. There's, 
I, I don't think I'd want to just. I, I, yeah, I think everyone's so unique. Totally. Everyone brings no one's one person. And you can go through a phase of like so one of my favorite movies that hasn't made your list is The Gentleman, which is okay. a guy Ritchie movie yeah, yeah. and it's got uh, Matthew McConaughey, oh, yeah. Charlie Hunnam, Dreamboat. Um <laughs> but also like Colin, I think it's Colin Farrell yeah. is in it and he is like steals the whole movie and he's in it for probably 7 minutes. You know, like those kind of and then you then you go down that rabbit hole of like discovering that actor and you're like, "Oh wow." You know, like, so I, I feel like you go through phases with actors. Like, I went through a real Ozark, Jason Bateman yeah, fan, and then went back and watched all of Arrested Development because yeah. I love that style of content and shows. Okay, so much That's fun. That's awesome. Yeah, I love it. And there's so much inspiration. I want to end on, I heard you say, um, and you've referred to this in regards to your acting training about working hard, and you've said the hardest workers in the room get the job. Do you t- like? Would you say that's something you live by? Um, maybe tweak it a little bit. Okay, let's okay. tweak it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, th- I, th- I think I'm a big believer that we all are. T- every human being is talented at something, yeah. and that's just being honest. But what that something is could be different for everyone. Yeah. I think acting is a craft that people can train to get talented in. Yes. But if you're not a hard worker, that talent's just going to stay stagnated. I think the harder workers will eventually get that talent and they'll eventually get that job because they work harder than just the talent. I don't think talent on its own is going to bring you success because you could be a lazy, talented person. You know, you're throwing away your talents. Heaps of people do that all the time. It's common in actors. Exactly. And I really do believe – I'm not talking about the rocks mentality of work. 18, 19 hours a day and you're going to be yeah. a successful actor or business person. I'm not saying that. But I am saying be a hard worker. I'm a, I'm a hard worker because I've had to work my, most of my life to support myself and financially and everything else. So, And in order for me to get better at this, I need to work harder than what I'm currently doing because I'm not currently working. So there's something I could be doing better and that's working more, working better at my craft, spending more time on my accent going to different teachers, understanding what they're doing right and what what's not working for me. There's so many things you could do, but you've also got to be realistic too. There's only so many hours in the day. I don't want to tie my eggs up all in one basket. I've got other commitments in my life that I've got to do. So it's just about finding that balance. I was uh, I had a lot of fun watching your vlogs with you and Nards. Yeah, yeah. And, um, <laughs> and your quarantine vlog where you, you would – because obviously in Australia it's a different time zone. Yeah, yeah. And so you'd kind of like get up exercise, do your acting training for like an hour or so in dialect work because yeah. us Aussies have to have a good general American. Yeah. And then come 4 p.m. LA time, which is 9 a.m. Aussie time, then you click into an Australian work day. Yeah. And I liked that you I, – I loved that you shared that. I was like, oh, I'm going to like get all of my Americana work because usually what I'll do is kind of chill the first half of the day yeah. and then I'll click into work mode at 3 usually because okay. I'm prepping for all my Australian – work to click in, but it is really handy if you kind of like structure it right out so that you're making the most of your time, you exactly. know. Exactly. It's important. But one thing I do want to add to to the work ethic side of thing, work ethic is important. But I've realized over the years and especially now, and I wanted to share this, is you can have a great work ethic and be talented, but if your mental health's lacking, I think it's all going to lack. Totally. So I've been really trying to focus on setting up every day 
correctly for me and that that consists of self-care. I'm a big self-care person of between say 6 a.m. and say 9, 9.30 a.m. is all doing things that are going to set me up for a great day. And if I miss those that period, it's generally a red zone. It's not a good place to be for my day. Like my day is never as good if my mornings aren't perfected. Um, and in saying that, I'm, I'm pretty agile. So if I'm on the road, I still, I'm disciplined enough to prioritize my meditation or my exercise and my getting up early and reading and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So I feel like that for me, in order to advance my career, I've realized that my mental health and physical health needs to be at the top of its game. Otherwise I won't last anyway. So that's just, that's the honest truth. I, I love that because I think that, um, where I studied at acting school in Australia, they were like, treat this like you're training for the Olympics. And I like that you're like, well, I need to be disciplined enough to get these self-care practices, whether it be exercise, good food, uh, meditation you mentioned, reading. I'm Like I've got dialect exercises I do every day. You know, I, I like that you're like, well, that's just part of my everyday and then I click on to like whatever I need to get done from a yeah. work capacity with living stuff and probably like getting lines down and all these other kind of things that just have to get done that are on a timeline but you've still got this specific window that's like that's my non-negotiable. Mm. And you and I have both spoken about therapy. You're yeah. super thro- yeah. pro therapy as well, yeah, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. It's a big part of my plan. Yeah. Even at the top of my – like even when I'm really feeling great and I'm, I'm, I'm not overthinking things or I'm more in control of the things that I can control and I'm letting go of the things that don't matter, uh, I still pri- prioritise that stuff and, and – and, Speaking to a mental health professional, in my mind, is important because I don't just stop going and learning lines just because I know how to read them now or I understand a script. doesn't mean I can understand every script. I don't stop going to the gym because I can do 20 push-ups and 10 sit-ups or whatever Mm. it is. I keep going because I just want to maintain that and get better. That's why I don't give up on the, the mental health training as well. I love it. I could talk to you all day, my friend. You are wonderful. Likewise. Let's do a pod swap now. Let's do it. Can't wait. Thank you. That's a wrap on another episode of Fearlessly Failing. As always, thank you to our guests. And let's continue the conversation on Instagram. I'm at Yummo Lollaberry. This potty, my word for podcast, is available on all streaming platforms. I'd love it if you could subscribe, rate and comment. And of course, spread the love. Spread the love.